My dear sisters in Christ, it is with great joy and thanksgiving to Almighty God that I stand here this evening to be your retreat master. It's very kind and good of the sisters to invite me, as they have so many times, to come here to this wonderful place and to give a retreat. And I hope that this retreat will be a time of many graces in your soul, of many blessings from the Lord God, that he will fill you with his joy and his peace and give you the strength to follow him ever more readily from day to day. This retreat must be centered as everything we do as Christians on the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. When the Father chose to reveal himself to the world, he revealed himself in stages, first in the beauty of creation, then through the history of his chosen people, but finally and above all, he revealed himself most perfectly and finally in the life of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. St. John tells us God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son so that none of us who believe in him would ever be perished, but that we would be bred to eternal life. And that is so beautiful whenever I think of it, that God gave his only Son to us. And if we study the life of the Son of God, if we look at the life of Jesus, look at what he said, look at what he did, and even look at his silence, God teaches us so many things that we can never come to the end of them. Indeed, there are more treasures, more graces in the human nature of Christ that could ever be counted by anyone in all of creation. Even the angels long to look into these things. But we are on this retreat so that we will, for a brief time, look into God's marvelous plan and show how he showed himself to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that should be a cause of great joy for all of you, because our Lord came, above all else, to bring us lasting joy. And if you haven't felt that joy for a long time, or you've forgotten it, then I would ask all of you to pray that God will bless you during this retreat, so that the Lord Jesus will come into your heart with the renewed joy of spirit in thanksgiving to God for all that he teaches us through his only begotten Son. The Gospels tell us that during his public ministry, our Lord Jesus Christ loved to pray. They teach us that he would get up a long time before daybreak and would go out to a deserted place to pray or that he would spend the whole night on a mountain in prayer. They show us Jesus praying before he chose the 12 apostles, praying before he gave us the Eucharist, praying throughout his ministry, especially when he raised his friend Lazarus from the dead.
Jesus was always at prayer in the Gospels. And what you must understand was that was the whole pattern of his life even before he began his public ministry. What do we read in St. Luke? That when he was only 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem and he stayed behind without his parents at first realizing it. Looking for him in the caravan, they found that he wasn't with the men or the women. And so Mary and Joseph, in great anguish, returned to Jerusalem. And Mary says to him, Son, didn't you know that your father and I would be seeking you? Didn't you know the anguish that we would have? And his answer was, Didn't you know that I must be here in my father's house? That was true all through his life, long before he began his public ministry. I'm very sure not only that Jesus was at the synagogue on the Sabbath with all of the community, but that he went to the synagogue as often as possible just to be near his heavenly Father and to pray. And more than that, I'm sure that when he was working at his carpenter's bench, that he often would sing the praises of God and his heart would go to his heavenly Father. I've been to Nazareth. I can see it as it must have been in his day, a small village, and it is surrounded by hills, and I can see the Son of God walking in the hills, looking at the beauty of the lily of the field, which he was to speak about later, drenching himself with the beauty of all of the Father's creation. And in the Gospels we know that Jesus was always speaking to people about the things that God had created, the birds of the air, the fish of the sea. Well, when he was in Nazareth, that was the pattern of his life. He loved all of God's creatures. He loved every particle of God's creation. He saw in all of it a message from his heavenly Father. He was so much a man of prayer that there must have been times when people were looking for him and he was alone with his father. And yet that was the whole pattern of his life all through the Gospels. As busy as he was, surrounded by crowds of people, having people almost storm him, begging for healing, the Gospels tell us that he always made time to pray that his whole life was a constant prayer to Almighty God. And I ask you who are on this retreat, is that true of your life? Do you love to pray? Do you love to be with the Father? Is your whole day marked by prayer in the beginning, at the end, throughout the day? Is God your first and your best thought so that wherever you are, whatever you're doing, you're offering it to the Lord and lifting your mind and heart to God. If the answer is yes, then you're blessed. If the answer is no, then he'll teach you.
He'll teach you how to pray and to always be with your Father. Because can there be any other happiness for us unless that of being with our Heavenly Father? What else in this world can give us lasting joy? I see people, not just here in Los Angeles, but in many places, chasing around, going at high speed from one place to another all day long. What are they looking for? They're looking ultimately, as everyone is looking, for peace, for happiness. But it won't be found by going to a new shopping mall or by going to a new movie theater or a new restaurant. The peace for which they're looking can be found, as Jesus said, within them. The kingdom of God is within you. And our Lord, by his example of lifting his heart to his heavenly Father, wherever he was, whatever he was doing, has shown us the way to holiness. To be holy means that you belong to God, the Holy One. It means that you live in His presence. You love His presence. You love to hear His voice. You love to speak to Him. You love to be silent with Him. Everything in your life is for the good Lord. And even in this very busy world today in which we live, every now and then you meet someone who understands what Jesus was trying to teach. Not just priests and religious, although some of them are outstanding examples of this, but ordinary people that you meet who, as busy as they may be, have God as their first priority. God means more to them than anything else. Everything in their life is for God and from God. And when I meet people like this, and I have so often, when I was preaching at a retreat house and giving retreats, and just in my parish work at St. Thomas Aquinas in Napa, I see that these people are the people who have the deepest joy, because they found the secret of joy, the secret that Jesus found when he was always lifting his mind and his heart to his Heavenly Father in prayer. And this is what is most needed in the church today. No programs that we take, no courses we take, no books we read, no projects we involve ourselves in will ever take the place of prayer. Where there is prayer, there we have the fountain of all of God's blessings. Where prayer does not exist, we create a desert for ourselves because God comes to us in prayer. The Catechism teaches that God saves us in two ways, through the sacraments, but also through prayer. And that means that every time we pray, God is pouring out upon us all of the treasures of his love. He is drawing us to his heart and making us what he wants us to be. When I look at the life of our blessed Lord, I see not only that prayer was always present in everything he did, but I also see that all the work he did 
was suffused with the spirit of prayer. I don't think anyone ever came to the carpenter shop at Nazareth and was able to complain to the Son of God, you didn't do your best on my chair, my table, my bench. Everything he did, he did for the love of the Father. And everything he did had beauty to it. And in his life of working, he suffused his work with prayer. However busy he might have been, however hard the labor might have been, he was always lifting up his heart to the Father. In the movie, Jesus of Nazareth, there is a beautiful scene where St. Joseph is distracted from his carpenter's bench. And he goes out and he sees his son climbing on a ladder as if trying to get up to the sky. That's very realistic to me. Wherever he was, he was always reaching out to heaven, always reaching out to the Father. And that's one of the things that all of us in the church today must most work on. In my work as a priest and working with people for the 40 years, will be 40 years this August, I've seen that whatever else you may do, unless you pray, your life isn't what God wants it to be. You may be very good at your work. You may have many admirers of your work. But unless your work becomes a prayer, it isn't complete in God's sight. Because even to be able to work is God's gift. And those souls who are crippled or in hospitals or in rest homes and are no longer able to do a day's work, they too can work for the Lord by offering him their sufferings and their prayers for others. They are still working for God. Some years ago, I was very moved to hear about a family in the Midwest, and uh, they had lots of kids, and all the kids were grown. And at last, the father of the family, his health gave out, and they had to take him to a rest home. And the sisters who ran the rest home told the family at his funeral that he had been a gift to all of them because he had spent every waking hour in the chapel praying all day for everyone. He moved the hearts even of the sisters themselves because that's what our whole life should be, a prayer to God and our work should be a form of our prayer. We live in a very crass society today. Everything is dollars and cents. People explain jobs to other people and never even avert to the fact that to work is a privilege, and if you work for God, then it is a great grace because all your work becomes a form of prayer, as it was in the life of Jesus. And then we read in the Gospel that our blessed Savior was always helping the poor and the sick, the lame and the blind, the lonely, the comfortless, I like to think that that too began not when he was baptized by John, but much earlier in his life. I'd like to think 
that it really is true what I read once in a beautiful novel about the life of our Lord and His Blessed Mother. The pilgrims going up to Jerusalem were horrified one Passover to see that the Romans had crucified a number of young men, but that all were moved by a young Jew who went and stood in front of the cross of each one of them and prayed. And of course, that young man was Jesus. Jesus, who was always praying for people. Jesus, who was always present to people. How many orphans, how many widows, how many lonely souls found comfort in the presence of Christ all throughout his earthly ministry, even before he began preaching in Galilee? How many people did he help without telling anyone or anyone especially noticing it? His heart was always full of compassion. In the movie Ben-Hur, which is going to be played again in Napa in the middle of April, I'm going to go see it again. There is a scene which you may have forgotten if you've seen that movie. But after Judah Ben-Hur is falsely accused of trying to kill the governor, he's condemned to the galleys. They're marching him in forced march in chains through this arid, dry land, he is dying of thirst. No one will give him anything to drink. They are forestopped at a village, and the village happens to be Nazareth. And there, when he is ready to despair and give up his life, a man comes up to him with a cup of water and gives him as much to drink as he wishes. It saves his life. And later he discovers that that man was Jesus. Jesus was always the giver of good to other people, comforting the sorrowful, protecting the innocent, defending the helpless. That was something about him that never changed. And when he began his public ministry, it simply expanded so all the world would see it, but it had been there before. And what about our lives? Is our charity expanding so that as time goes on, we find more and more people to help, more and more kind deeds to perform, more and more souls to nurture? That's what I notice about holy people that I've known. <laughs> the older they get, the more their love expands to more and more souls. They're always praying for others or trying to help people or doing whatever they can because Jesus moves them to do this because that's what Jesus did. And he said, by this all men shall know that you are my disciples, by the love you have for one another. And Jesus gave that example even early in his life of being the one who always cared, who cared for everyone. How many souls, I wonder, did he save from 
grief and despair by his kind words in the years at Nazareth. And when we think about that, we realize that his whole life was a gift to his Heavenly Father. His work, his prayer, his kindness to others, all of it was part of God's revelation to us of the great love that Jesus came to bring into the world. For we have to face the fact that the world into which Jesus came was a world that was hardened in sin, where many people had forgotten God, and those who had not forgotten him tended to neglect him. And isn't that also true of the world we live in today? Haven't so many people come to despair because they push God away? The kind man who gave me a ride today from the airport works with many well-to-do people in this area. And he's been to meetings where people will start the meeting and saying, and please, anybody here, don't mention God during this meeting. I don't want to hear about it. Well, whether you want to hear about it or not, whether you deny it or not, God is present. Nothing can remove his presence. He is present either to witness what we do for others or to witness what we don't do. People who have great amounts of money, and many people in this area do, think that that takes the place of God. It doesn't take the place of God. It only creates a deeper longing for him because nothing you spend can satisfy your desires. Nothing you buy can bring you peace. It's been tried many times. The only peace that there is is the peace that God gives. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, says the Lord. And he meant that because not only does he give it, but he's the only one who can give it to you. There has been a great deal of publicity lately about prominent personalities who have fixed the system to get their children into high-paying colleges. It doesn't surprise me because I know that this goes on everywhere where there's wealth and power. But I wonder what it says about our values. If someone loves the Lord Jesus Christ with all their heart, then they live in this world so that they can serve Jesus and so that they can share the love in their hearts with them so that all of us can love Christ together. But if you don't have that, what do you have? money in a bank account, which you not only can't take with you, but in some cases it becomes a burden to you during life, worrying night and day about it. Buying cars and new homes, will that satisfy you? I know people who have three or four homes. They're not any happier than anybody else. Being able to travel to 
distant parts of the world on expensive vacations. To do what and then come home to what? To the same person you were before. The only joy that people really have and ever can have is the joy that comes from the Lord Jesus. If you know Jesus, you know peace. If you don't know Jesus, you don't know peace. In my life as a priest, I've had to work with so many people over the years. And usually, they're a lot like the um, student who was one day talking to St. Philip Neri in Rome. St. Philip Neri was the great apostle of Rome in the 16th century. He was a genius in his charity and his way of getting people to laugh, but also helping them to come back to God. He won many souls for the Lord in the confessional, and many people he persuaded to enter religious life and the priesthood. And one day he was talking in his warm, friendly way with a college student, and he asked him, uh, what are you going to do with your life? And he said, well, when I finish my studies, I'm, I'm going to become a physician. And then? Well, then I'm going to have lots of patients and I'll make lots of money for my fees. And then? Well, then after working for a number of years, I'll build myself a beautiful house to retire in. And then? Well, I suppose then I'll think about all the good things I had in my life and all the wonders I was able to accomplish. And then? Well, I suppose someday I'll get old and have to die. And then? And then? No amount of money, no amount of so-called prestige, high station in society, can purchase for you what every person really wants in their hearts. For it is written in the scriptures, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Everything in the law is reduced to these commandments. Well, Jesus has shown us the way, and the only problem seems to be that none of us seems to want to trust him. We want to find our own riches, our own happiness, our own way, and all the ways that we choose lead nowhere. For Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. See, I have opened before you a door which no one is able to shut. When you walk the way of Christ, then you are walking the way of joy. When you ignore Christ, you bring nothing but sorrow into your life. And I know I, uh, one of my many jobs is that I'm the chaplain to a Catholic school. I spend a lot of my time there as well as the time I spend in my parish. And um, I see all sorts of young people and they talk to me about their plans and their dreams. 
and I ask them the same question. What are you going to do with your life? And in the end, I ask them, and when you reach what you're planning to achieve, what then? If we love the Lord our God, then our life is a song of praise. Jesus, by his whole life, sang a hymn of praise to God. Everyone who met him could feel the music inside of themselves. Everyone who met him was filled with a desire to share that joy, to have that in their hearts. But no one who met him was compelled to listen to his teaching. There were those who rejected him, who refused to hear his message, who chose to make up every excuse possible, but they would not follow the Lord. And people have that same dubious privilege even today. May God grant during this retreat that every one of you who has come may decide for Jesus that he will be your way, your truth, your life, that you will follow him and find the joy that only he can give. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, says the Lord. This is my desire, says Jesus, that I may rejoice in you and you in me. Let us open our hearts to his voice. And during this retreat, ask Jesus, be my joy, be my peace, be my truth, be my life, for you are the Lord of all creation, and you are my salvation. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.